Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Welcome, everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 198 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We're recording this on September something or other, uh, September 8th, I guess that is, in uh, 2017. And I'm your host, Russ, K5TUX, and we also have, from out in I'm in the Dining Room Tonight, Big Sky Country, Montana, Bill, NE4RD. Howdy, howdy. And across from me is Cheryl, W5MOO. Hello, everyone. All right, so I think we're ready to buckle down and do a show here or something. We'll we'll figure it out, (laughs) I guess, at some point. We have a few segments we're going to talk about. The first one is amateur radio, and we're going to talk about some amateur radio stuff. Uh, This first story comes from the uh, Southgate Amateur Radio Club or Amateur Radio News, and uh, it's a flash topic. So, Bill, scream on through it. Flash, flash, emergency frequencies for Mexico. The IARU Region 1 Emergency Communications Coordinator, Greg Mossop, Gulf Zero Delta Uniform Bravo, reports on the emergency amateur radio frequencies being used for Hurricane Katia and the earthquake. With a magnitude 8.1 earthquake hitting Mexico at 0449 UTC today, uh, I guess that would be really today? Really today. Uh, Okay, so this is uh, uh, 9-8-2017 today. <laughs> Assume that these frequencies are in use now as they respond to the disaster. On 20 meters, that's 14-120. On 40, that's 7.060. Uh, 80 meters, 3.690. And also, 14-325 is also to be expected to be uh, coordinated there with the uh, United States Hurricane Watch Net with, uh, of course, Irma and... Uh, Oh, is it Jose Josie and something else on the is way? Is it Josie or Jose? I thought it was Jose. I think it's Jose. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it Jose? Okay. I, I thought they were calling it Josie earlier, but that's okay. Uh, Josie, um, Jose. Yeah, yeah. One or the other. Various <laughs> wind link nodes may also be used to deal with the emergencies and uh, with HF propagation disturbed after this big X9 solar flare that hit us yesterday uh, or Wednesday. I guess it was kind of. It was uh, stronger yesterday, I believe. But anyway, please take all the steps to avoid interference to emergency communication activities in the Caribbean and, of course, in southern uh, the United States. Right now, there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of activity. we got uh, back-to-back storms possibly rolling into the uh, southeast of the United States. You know, keep clear, give them their room. I know there's some contests. There's worked all Europe and stuff like that going on this weekend. But, uh, yeah, you know, give them a little bit of elbow, elbow room there on those freaks. Yeah, definitely, and uh, keep an eye out, especially if you can help in some of these things. There are hurricane nets, like, popping up all over the place. Uh, Aries and Races are being activated, you know, everywhere. (laughs) Nets are going on all the time because they're, I mean, with the earthquake and basically three hurricanes right in a row coming through, uh, there's still a lot of activity out there on the bands and everything. So if you can participate, definitely do that. So uh, moving on, we have uh, WSJTX has released candidate number two and i've seen this like all over the internet today there is a million stories to choose from uh, but we got this one from wsjtx itself and on the heels of the first release the wonder and excitement of ft8 was brought to us with wsjtx rc1 
they have now released RC2 and the implementation of auto sequencing. It's now more capable and more polished, which is good because it was a little rough there in the go because you usually miss the first response to a CQ, I think, and it would pick it up on the second one. The decoder is faster and better and now includes signal subtraction, multi-pass decoding, and the use of accumulated a priori information as a QSO progresses. Sensitivity extends downward as far as negative 24 dB, which is almost as good as most of the other uh, JT modes, right? Yeah, I think uh, the JT65 goes down to about a neg 28 to neg 30, depending upon uh, your noise level. Uh, but considering how fast and limited yeah, the FDA transition, yeah, it's very good. <laughs> uh, you can be really down into the noise and still hear it. Uh, overlapping signals two and three deep are frequently decoded at essentially the same frequency, and on a crowded band, sometimes more than 30 decodes in a single 15-second interval happen uh, over just a 2 kilohertz window. And the North American VHF contesting mode has been extended to include both FT8 and MSK144. So very cool. Contest ready. It is, and FT8 is a really super fun mode. It's really fast, and now that they've tweaked uh, the auto-sequencing mode so it works better, that's going to be really great. Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, people are going to try using this as well for doing meteor scatter stuff, even though there is a meteor scatter mode. Well, people will try anything once or twice or a thousand times. Well, people being amateur radio operators anyway. Speaking of contest modes, contest season is approaching. Why, yes, it is. My favorite time of year. The sweeps are coming. So radio sport can be a fun and exciting way to become active on your ham radio station. There are many different kinds of contests that allow you to try different modes of operation, uh, like we just talked about, FT8 and a bunch of other ones, uh, CW and voice. These contests can also serve as a method of testing your station's capabilities. Propagation somehow always magically improves during these contest windows, especially in the bigger contests. <laughs> I'm always amazed at, at uh, you know what bands magically become open that uh, have been closed forever. And, and of course, there are more people that are active on the bands. So it's a great opportunity for you to, you know, possibly get your work to all states or, you know, try some, uh, try some different things. Like uh, I suggest you're, uh, you know, try doing a contest QRP or try doing a contest with portable equipment or maybe test out an antenna during a contest. It's a great opportunity to kind of, you know, test your station without, uh, you know, having to really work hard to try to get contacts to come back to you uh, during a contest. People want to call you and they want to hear from you. So it works out really well. And uh, a great site for finding out what contests are coming up. Of course, the WA seven BMM, the whiskey alpha seven Bravo November Mike contest calendar. you can uh, search that up in your favorite search engine. We also have it linked in the show notes that he has a eight day calendar that uh, you can uh, sync up with your Google calendar, which is really good because that's what I have done on my side. And, of course, they also has a yearly calendar there, and uh, you also can uh, check out the QST and the ARRL's uh, contest calendar that's published uh, on the website and in the magazine every month. So, uh, yeah, with sweepstakes coming up, that's uh, one of my favorite ones. I try to make that one every year. I do the uh, sideband and the CW, and I normally always win Montana for a QRP. So, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why I love it. <laughs> Until someone dethrones me here, I'm going to keep on doing it. <laughs> uh, we're totally going to drive up to <laughs> to Montana. <laughs> we're going to sit yeah. like two blocks away from you, and we're just going <laughs> to rain on your yeah. parade. That's what <laughs> and I normally, I mean, I, I, I let me look at. I'm, I'm going to open up my envelope here with my certificate, and what is the score? It's really bad. Uh, Forty nine hundred points, which probably isn't more than a hundred contacts. 
but doing QRP voice is not easy. So <laughs> right. have fun. <laughs> so when you do QRP voice, what is your actual output? It's five watts. Five watts. Okay. I was just yeah, curious. So really with voice, I mean, five watts is like two and a half watts. Highly recommend a radio with a, a decent compressor in it. So it really makes the signal sound punchy. And, uh, you know, I use the, uh, the 703. So, and that one works really well, really well for doing voice. All right. Very cool. I might try and jump in on this um, when we actually get back from our upcoming trip. <laughs> and I actually, yeah. you know, am back in the shack again to try some different well, contests. Sweeps are in November, so you got some time. So. Yeah. Well, I'm going to see if I can get, get my act together here and uh, participate. It's about time. Yeah. So yeah, there's sh- definitely some opportunities uh, in the calendar every weekend, pretty much from now until, well, until the spring. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So uh, we got in the chat room, and you and I both saw uh, individually that HamQTH has been broken for a while because the data store went belly up. And uh, this is a bad thing, especially if you like HamQTH as an uh, alternative to things like QRZ.com. But I do see there's an update from today that says most of the utilities are up on a backup machine, and the old database is again active on the backup machine. And he's trying very hard to get the website back online. So hopefully HamQTH will be up and running as it was very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel for him. I've lost raids, <laughs> storage arrays in production, and it's it's definitely not fun, especially when they're they're unexpected. You know, normally if you're watching it diligently, you'll you'll notice the drive goes down, and you can you know quickly replace it. But I've had a case where two drives go down before I realize anything's gone, and then. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm uh, rebuilding the ray from scratch. Yeah, I don't think anyone actually expects a failure necessarily, although some higher-end servers and stuff can actually do some processing along those lines and detect uh, byte errors and stuff and give you an indication that things are going awry. And I know Smart is set up to monitor disk activity and tell you if uh, things are trending downwards. And I know yeah. at work, um, I've replaced a couple of hard drives that have been indicated by the smart system that they are in imminent distress. Um, yes. But but generally speaking, no one just says, oh, um, I think my RAID array is going to fail today. I should probably swap out a drive or two. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I know the, the servers we use, the Dell servers, I mean, they'll blink yellow when, the, when a drive's going pretty much out of the RAID, you know, when the controller says, I'm unhappy with this drive. And uh, I think you can actually have it, uh, you know, with the proper monitoring software, the smart, you know, smart controller, you can actually have it email you and whatever when, uh, when that drive starts failing. Yeah. Smart actually down there and replace it right away. Right. (laughs) If you got spares. Smart actually integrates with the D rack, which is the, uh, Dell remote access controller. So you can have it like email you and stuff when there are errors on your system. And I'm sure other servers like HPs and other things have uh, similar type systems. So yeah. uh, you can be a little proactive when it comes to your storage. But, yeah, it's always bad when it goes kapooey. That's the technical term, by the way. Kapooey! <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on from amateur radio topics, we kind of slid in a uh, an open source topic there or a uh, computer topic. So uh, we'll move silently and squeakily cleanly into uh, open source. And I want to talk a little bit about Synergy, which I think we brought up on the show once or twice before, which is a an IP KVM solution. Uh, it's cross-platform, and it allows you to control a desktop with a single keyboard and mouse, which, is, of course, is what a KVM does. But this is all done via networking. So if you have, like, three computers sitting in your shack and you want to have all the screens separate but control those computers by one keyboard and mouse and one 
uh, you actually have multiple monitors. So it's more like a KV switch, not a KVM switch. Uh, but anyway, I use it for pretty much everything. And I had an interesting problem uh, come up when I started using Debian Stretch. Um, I installed Debian 9.1 on both my uh, main workstation and my Hamshack computer, and I got Synergy installed. And what would happen is I would move my mouse over from my main workstation to the Hamshack computer, and it would disappear like it had you know gone off the side of the screen and over to the other machine, but I couldn't see it, and it wasn't controlling the desktop. And it turns out the reason for that is the X window system in Debian Stretch is actually using Wayland. It's really silent and you don't know it because it looks and feels just the same as the standard X server. So what happens is you can you can get everything set up and it works and Synergy thinks all is well, but it doesn't actually control your X section. And the reason for that is Synergy does not yet support Wayland. So <sighs> they are working on this from what I've seen and the documentation I found by you know doing my Googling. Uh, that they are working on Wayland support. However, if you are using Wayland, you can't use Synergy. So what I had to do was turn Wayland off, which in GNOME is really easy. It's just a configuration. There's a file on your system called slash Etsy slash GDM3 slash daemon.conf. And in there, there is a configuration line under the daemon config block that says Wayland enable equals true. And all you have to do is say Wayland enable equals false, reboot your machine, and all is well. So uh, real simple to do, and I assume that uh, other systems that use GDM3 have a similar configuration file, maybe in a different location, and other systems that use Wayland are probably configured that way in some way. And depending on which desktop manager software you're using, you know, whether it's LightDM or GDM or for... Uh, Mint, it could be MDM or something like that. There is probably some other configuration option to turn off Wayland. But for the moment, at least, if you want to use Synergy and you want to use one of the newer desktops, make sure that you disable Wayland because it does not work. But soon it will, and then none of this will matter. But for now, keep that in mind. So that's that's my treatise on Synergy and Wayland. And once you turn Wayland off, by the way, it works perfectly. So no problems at all. Now, uh, Synergy, uh, is it open source or? Yes. Yes, it is. Is that wasn't it like some point it went commercial or there or is, is a commercial version, but of course with everything that starts open source, there is always still an open source version and you can get it through GitHub and there are also repos and PPAs where you can actually get it pre-compiled. Uh, cool. Yes. So, it is available still open source. Yeah. I remember using that probably, I don't know, 15 years ago <laughs> <laughs> and it worked really well back then. And, uh, I, I just, I, just really haven't had a use for it until, well, now that I'm redoing the shack again, I'm like, well, maybe I should clean all this stuff up. So I was kind of thinking about that the other day, and I was glad to see you had a, had a link in here about it. Yeah, I actually have four machines here on my desk, and I ha and three of them are running Linux, and one of them is an iMac, and I can, run all, I can run Synergy on all of them, and I can have control of all of those computers from one keyboard and mouse using it. So uh, it's on four different monitors, you know, because you're controlling each computer individually in that way uh, but right. it really works out well for me anyway yeah that's cool all right so moving on that's there are cool. some consequences perhaps to coding in the open and bill's going to tell us what they are three consequences to of coding in the open uh coding in the open 
And uh, this is an article I picked up on uh, opensource.com from the author's experience in working on an open source project for a company, uh, and the company is called Reaction. He details the experience of being in an available 24 by 7 code environment and the uh, level of transparency that offers both the users of the code and the and the company that you know he works for. And it was interesting to read it, um, you know, basically about, uh, you know, being able to go on someone's GitHub uh, account and check out their activity and to imagine if, uh, you know, that was your actual job to <laughs> and uh, everyone in the world can see you contributing to this open source project because that's what you're paid to do. Yeah, just to have kind of like uh, the entire world able to to, to look at that and uh, live under that kind of pressure and maybe like a bigger uh, a bigger project or even a you know bigger sort of you know commercialized open source project where you have a lot of uh, interest in stuff getting done and uh, productivity of uh, the employees and everything else and I just found it interesting you know it made me want to go and look at our uh, our our code repository which is private of course and uh, check all the, the 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 change sets just to make sure I had more <laughs> and uh i thought it was kind of interesting and then then of course that story about reddit popped up which kind of pushed more the envelope of you know driving you know innovation and and new products and 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 new feature sets in an open source project how do you control that um from being seen too soon if you're uh you know if you're marketing this new feature if you're going to uh, monetize this new feature and stuff like that kind of was an interesting case in point of, of of having that level of transparency in an environment where you're you're monetizing what you're doing in open source so um if you haven't found it i mean haven't heard about the reddit stuff but um that we have a link to it in the in the show notes there's also an article in beta news about it uh basically they're just they just basically are doing uh, i believe releases now and not doing uh uh, not doing active development inside of the repos for for the Reddit, the application that runs runs Reddit, just because of you know not wanting to uh, you know have these features and stuff like that available before they're ready to release them, uh, you know as as such, you know because they are monetizing the the value of the software. Right, and this actually is not new. As you are reading the story and as you are discussing how this was sort of becoming a problem for some developers, it occurred to me that this is exactly what Google does with Android. Android is open source, but they develop it behind closed doors, not necessarily in a closed source way, but they develop it sort of offline. Everything's private. And then you don't get to see what the source code is until it's actually released as a version. Then, then of course, you can do with it what you want because it's released you know, in that way. But there was actually some consternation about how Google develops Android and how they release it uh, some months and probably years ago, actually, that I know we talked about before. But it might be a case of for people who have this kind of an issue, they might develop it as a closed source product. And then when they get it to a point where they feel like they have something and they have a product and they have a market base for it, then they can open source it afterwards once, once they've created the market. I can, I can definitely see because if you're doing something in an open source way, everything is exposed and everything is out there and someone can rip it off just like that. And there's a reason that some people do that and a reason some people don't. Yeah. So caveats for sure, and uh, some software developers kind of, you know, Google <laughs> kind of circumvent <laughs> the, the issue in, in some way. But uh, 
yeah, something to consider um, if you're if you're putting a product out there for sure. Very good. So uh, we're going to move on to uh, Flash topic, which is that the 4.13 version of the Linux kernel has been released. And, of course, it's right on schedule, like it always is. Uh, headline features in this release include kernel hardening via structured layout randomization. Everybody knows what that is, right? Uh, native TLS protocol support. Better huge page swapping. Huge page swapping. Huge. It's huge. <laughs> It's tremendous. It's huge. Tremendous. It's, it's bigly. Tremendous. It's yeah. got some bigly page swapping in there. <laughs> bigly, right. Bigly from the man with the small hands. Improved handling <laughs> of write-back errors, better asynchronous I.O. support, better power management, and next interrupt prediction. The elimination of the DocBook tool chain for formatted docs and more. Uh, there's one other change that is called out explicitly in the announcement. Quote, the change in question is simply changing the default CIFIS behavior. Instead of defaulting to SMB 1.0, which you really should not use, just Google for stop using SMB1 or similar, the default CIFIS mount uh, defaults to a rather more modern SMB 3.0. So very good. They finally come into the modern world of CIFIS. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> and I, I heard another story that uh, you know, Linus uh, released this, even though he was passing a like kidney stone or something like that. <laughs> so uh, apparently he was uh, not in good shape, but... He was still able to to go ahead and release the kernel. And as I've said many times on the show before, if you're using Cephas a lot, make sure to see your doctor and get a shot. Yes, so, yes, they have shots for that. Right, exactly. All right, so guess who's been rebuilding his shock box? I, it's me this time. Actually, no, Bill's been doing it too. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I don't know if if you've noticed, I haven't been on IRC a lot in the last couple of weeks because I've I've been tearing the entire shack apart. And that's also why I'm recording upstairs instead of downstairs in the shack because uh, I have stuff kind of strewn about and everything else. And I had, I had initially thought I was going to go with one setup for the computer, and then I decided I was going to reclaim an old uh, an older box as my uh, main Linux box for uh, for the shack purposes. And and I haven't gotten back to building that together obviously because i'm not down there <laughs> but i will i will put that all together hopefully in the next uh next week or so here i'm going to try to document uh probably more in more detail getting things hooked up uh, on the system with uh, with hamlib cqr log wsjtx fl digi all this all the tools that i normally use anything else that uh, is of interest and i haven't i haven't totally settled back on uh, ubuntu budgie i mean it's been doing fine on my uh on my laptop but uh, I'm 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 thinking I might uh, I'm I might uh, uh, go into deep end again. I don't know. I was looking at it again the, today on a, on the thumb drive, and I'm like, yeah, I could probably do this. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we'll wait and see on that. But uh, I'm I'm definitely gonna get it going, and and this time I'm gonna get Jack running. You know, Jack D the 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 fun glue together glue your own uh, audio system together. Uh, working so that's kind of like my my goal for our uh, our impending hiatus for uh, for the early part of winter up here. Well, very good. I actually, like I mentioned before in an earlier topic, uh, redid my main workstation and my Hamshack computer. I did them with Debian nine point one. I did not do the Ham Radio Pure Blend, um, not for any particular reason, but I just wanted to uh, use a straight up nine point one. The meta packages are available because it's Debian stretch and you can do, you know, apt install ham radio dash, you know, whatever. Now Ubuntu 
and the Ham Radio Pure Blend include the Ham Radio Dash All Meta Package, which installs all the software. Mm-hmm. Uh, Debian does not. It has all the other ones. It just doesn't have Ham Radio Dash All. But you can do Ham Radio Dash Star, and that does exactly the same thing. So that's what I did on both of those machines, just so I could have access to all the different software that was available. And both of those systems actually came up and are running beautifully. 9.1 has... Uh, you know, typical Debian, but but very uh, well put together installer, and uh, really happy with it. And the system is, uh, systems have been running flawlessly, both of them. So I'm really enjoying that. And I installed GNOME 3 as the desktop. You have uh, several options you can use uh, straight from the installer. I believe it's uh, GNOME 3 and Mate and XFCE, KDE, and I think there's one or two others you can choose. So no matter what flavor of desktop environment you like, you can do it straight out of the installer. So that that's very good. And uh, like I said a few episodes ago, and uh, after we found out what exactly the popularity contest is and what it does, I've decided to make sure that all of my computers have popularity contest enabled. So I would recommend that if you are running a Debian-based distribution and it asks you about the popularity contest, you definitely make sure it's enabled. The brief overview of that is Debian keeps track of what packages you install on your system so it knows what are popular packages and what needs to be properly maintained. And conversely, what are not popular packages and what don't need to be maintained or what can be removed. So if you, uh, you know, don't mind giving up a little bit of data about the, the packages that you install, uh, definitely enable popularity contests. It's worth it uh, to the project. Cool. So trying to think if I have anything else to say about my shack box. I guess I don't because I really haven't uh, done anything with it other than actually install the OS. So Yeah, I'm just waiting for my new laptop to come in. <laughs> oh, I did want to say that one of the things that I plan on doing during the hiatus is upgrading my entire recording system, probably with a new machine, hopefully Linux-based, and using Jack as well. It's really time to retire this old mini. Um, it's it's severely aging. It doesn't run half the software it needs to run, and uh, it's really kind of time to put my money where my mouth is. And I've got three months to buy a new machine, learn Jack, and get everything set up and running uh, for when we start again next year. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah, we'll both we'll both hopefully have uh, our completely jacked systems. <laughs> yeah, we will be jacked up. <laughs> yes, yeah. Or we won't know Jack, one or the other. Right. For for some definition of jacked up, we will both be it. Yes. Okay. So moving on, we're going to do a little bit more GitHubbing. And I'll talk about this first one, Cloud Shack, because it's uh, something we mentioned on the show before. We've mentioned two different <laughs> HTTP-based loggers for ham radio. I can't remember what the other one is. Um, cloud Log. Cloud Log. That was it. And yes. then there's Cloud Shack. So I saw you put this one in the Etherpad, so I decided to give it a try. Uh, it's another web-based logger that provides a restful interface to your ham radio logs. Uh, looks like they just made some updates to the Docker file, so you can run this inside of a Docker instance. Bill says he tried it when DL2IC, Delta Lima 2 India Charlie Tom, was switching between versions of Angular, and you couldn't get either one of them to run. Um, yeah, they were both having issues. I think I had the earlier version ran sort of, and the new version sort of didn't run. <laughs> and I was having problems with Node, so I, I kind of attribute most of it to that. But I think I tried Dockering it, pulling a Docker container for it, and it didn't work very well for me. So I kind of gave up. That was probably like, I don't know, 20 episodes ago. Okay, so I didn't try and do it in a Docker instance. I didn't want to virtualize it. I actually wanted to install it on my Shack 
computer from the source. And basically what it says is you have to have Node.js and you have to have Erlang to get it to work because uh, apparently it's written in Erlang and it uses Node to present the front-end interface. So I got both of those installed going according to the documentation. And then when I tried to build it using the Node NPM feature, it blew up saying that <laughs> some some feature web web uh, package or web yeah, web something um curse you node js what's that i said curse you node js yes i have not had good luck with node <laughs> i really really am not a fan uh but everyone else is everybody else in the world loves node js just do a google search for node js training and you'll find about 65 quadrillion hits for it so Yes. Um, yeah. If you if you want to learn something and make some money on it doing programming, Node.js is where it's at. Of course, anything JavaScript is kind of where it's at. Yeah. So I couldn't get it to run, but I'm gonna I'm gonna futz around with it a little more and see what I can yeah you know, what I can figure out. It's probably something simple. It did say I have to have the lo- the latest version of Node.js, which I did. Um, well, that that's a misnomer. Sometimes you need a specific version of Node.js. <laughs> that's true. I <laughs> that, did try one. That's six. what I found. Sometimes if you have the newest one, that could be a problem. Yes, I agree. But I tried one dot six and one dot eight, the latest versions of both, and neither one worked. So I think I think I did what I was supposed to do as far as that because I was actually following their instructions on GitHub, uh, yeah. and it failed miserably. So. Uh, however, their instructions for installing Node.js and for installing Erlang worked perfectly. Apparently, they got that part of it right, but the software doesn't work yet, so uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, move on. Let's talk about MeshStat. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, these are sort of like Flash GitHub stuff that I found that just got updated this past week. Uh, MeshStat is an amateur radio mesh status network monitor that displays the status of a set of mesh nodes on a periodic basis. The author is Jonathan Cameron, KF6RTA, and it looks like a C++ project. I did not compile it or take a look at it, but uh, um, it looks to be very well documented, and there's a make file, and everything else should be easy to uh, compile it up and uh, take a look at it. And what else do we got here? We have Hermes Lite 2.x. So uh, most people following any SDR projects have, have heard of the Hermes project. And uh, this uh, this is another example of uh, not just software as can be found on GitHub. This is, this is a great example because this is just hardware, talking about the schematics and stuff like that. Um, this is a work in progress to create a low-cost software-defined amateur radio HF transceiver based upon the broadband modem chip and the Hermes SDR project. And uh, that's uh, Hermes Lite 2. And we have those links in the show note. And uh, the easiest way to find recent stuff on GitHub is to uh, just hit the github.com homepage and search amateur space radio and sort by date. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I look for stuff that's just been updated. And uh, it's always it's always interesting to run into some of these new projects because sometimes I'll run into stuff that would get normally buried in in a query on the on GitHub because there's so much other activity. And of course, radio matches everything and ham matches everything or, you know, amateur matches everything. So, uh, you know, definitely kind of look at look through relevancy and stuff like that. But there's always interesting stuff that can be found in the GitHub. All right. Very good. So we're going to move on to some music. Those are actually all the topics we have for tonight. We do have a considerable amount of feedback that we're going to get to here after the music, which is nice. Nice to get some feedback for a change. This is a 
song called Think of You by a man named Sam Brown. This comes from the album 37 Reasons, which was released back in May of 2014. And I got this courtesy of Jimendo. It runs about three and a half minutes, and Sam hails from Charlotte, North Carolina, here in the U.S. So we'll uh, give this one a spin. We'll come back on the other side, and we'll do some feedback. of you by sam brown from the album 37 reasons from back in may of 2014 and sam hails out of charlotte north carolina and a link of course to the song will be in the show notes 
that came from Jamendo, so you could actually just search for it over there and find it. So check that out. And I think uh, at the end of this particular program, and this is not going to make it into the show, this is just for people who are listening to the live stream right now. If you're at all interested in the Grateful Dead, and I know that Cheryl, who's sitting across from me, is not, I am uh, quite a student of the Grateful Dead, and I listen to a lot of their live recordings. And if there's one thing that a lot of people may not know about the Grateful Dead is they basically recorded and released every single concert that they ever did. And most of them, if not all of them, are available on archive.org, so you can go listen to them. So it's always neat for me to hear a new one and to hear all the songs they used to do, what went in and out of rotation and things like that, and to hear when they were on and when they're off, because the Grateful Dead certainly put out some bad shows. They had some spectacular shows. And I just recently happened to come across one truly spectacular show. Uh, It was recorded on February 26, 1981. And they had a very, very tight show that night. And there are two songs in particular at the beginning of the second set. And people who listen to The Grateful Dead would know what I'm talking about. But they did um, uh, I Know You Rider into Samson and Delilah. And those are probably two of the best versions of those two songs I've ever heard. And so at the end of this recording, when we're all done and going away, I'm going to leave the stream up and I'm going to play those two songs from that particular show. So if you're at all a fan of The Grateful Dead, I definitely recommend checking out that particular concert february 26 1981 one of the best that they probably ever did anyway moving on where are we at we're at announcements and feedback very cool feedback feedback uh i don't have any feedback but i I have all right so we have lots of feedback this time it's fantastic we had a post on google plus from rick stoner and he says Thanks for mentioning CQR log on the show. We only talk about it like every single episode, but uh, every episode, pretty much. (laughs) He says, I finally got a chance over the weekend to get started with a logging program. I like how it integrates with WSJTX and FL Digi to automatically capture contacts that I log through those programs. Originally, I was concerned about having MySQL running all the time, but I experimented with it and found that CQR log will start MySQL when you open it and then stop the DBMS when you exit the logger. Uh, thanks very much for That's the correct. tip. Yes. So, <laughs> except for if you have a, a running instance of MySQL, it will interfere because they'll want to be on in the same place. So, if you have both, then you you got to do a little trickery. Yeah, you have to do some shenanigans. But uh, yep. All right. Very cool. And thanks, Rick, for the feedback. We appreciate that. And and uh, excellent that you're using CQR log. It's Bill's absolute favorite. So <laughs> my favorite. Yep. Yep. All right, so moving on, we also had a post on Facebook from Eric, Kilo Delta Zero Golf Papa Zulu, who says, Hello, K5TUX, W5MOO, and NE4RD. Thanks for the LHS podcast. I'll miss the podcast during your hiatus. Oh, that's so nice. In response to your request for comments, I would like to learn about digital modes, SDR, and how to use them with Linux. I would also like to learn about NEC and Tenovis and other Linux amateur radio tools. Thanks again, 73KD0GPZ. Well, we've definitely filed those away, and we'll be talking about them more. We, we've talked about most of those topics before, so if you want to go back into the archive, maybe search the website. Uh, for some of those, you can find some earlier episodes we've done where we talk about things like SDR and other digital modes and stuff like that. There's lots of information. We have done, as of the end of this recording, 198 of these uh, over the last almost 10 years. So there's a lot of information out there. Uh, feel free to search, and, and hopefully you'll find something of use. Uh, but we'll definitely address all of these topics 
you know, after the hiatus for sure. Anybody want to read any of these other ones or am I doing sure, it? Sure, I can do the next one. All right, go for it. Oh, we have a comment on episode 195 from Surge ON4AA. I have noticed Code Weavers provides the source code for the crossover on their website. I guess Deep End developers simply adapted and compiled it. 73 to, from Surge ON4AA. And I guess this is talking about the questionability of the build that uh, comes in with Deep End, which doesn't give you any nagware or anything else. Basically, it just runs and works. And I think both of us kind of had the same question when we ran into this, when we played around with Deep End. It's like, is this really for for real? Because you, you bought a license, right, for the 39 bucks? I did. I did buy a license for Code Weavers. It made yeah. me feel good to support an excellent project, first of all. But it was kind of weird that it's available freely in Deep End. And this apparently is the answer. So at least we know that they're not doing something illicit. And it, it kind of seemed illicit since it's a Chinese distribution and they can be shady about things. So, you know, it looked a little yeah, weird. I but. was reading about that today. There's like a whole series of articles on, you know, why why it's a good 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 uh, good project and stuff like that and how they debunk all these random myths and stuff, <laughs> stuff about the project being in, uh, under the great ball of the ISP barrier of China and stuff like that. So, um yeah, I don't think it's that bad, and it's really a polished system. I think your comment was the same way. Is like, wow, this looks really sharp. Yep, it, yeah, it does. Every, every, go ahead, sorry. No, I said it does. It's very sharp, yes. <laughs> yeah, everything's well integrated. They have their own like skins and their own applications specifically for their uh, their project. So, yeah, it's it's definitely growing, and it's growing rapidly. And, and like I said, I might actually try that in my next my next uh, machine here shortly. And we also have a comment on episode 197 from Kevin, WH6OHM. And he had a good discussion about the knockoff radios. This was just, yeah, just the last episode and their impact on the hobby. I think it's a double-edged sword. A low barrier to entry is the only positive thing I can come up with as a benefit. I've seen a lot of feedback in online regarding uh, a lot of feedback online regarding FCC badge devices that don't come anywhere close to complying with the regulations. Radio shorting out washers or dryers when keyed. Light ballast putting out excessive RF energy. RF burns from HHT antenna mounts, etc. Maybe these are just uh, the vocal few. Hard to say, but I've I've had negative personal experiences with low-cost knockoff camera gear as well. Ultimately, I'm willing to pay more for a product that is solid QC process from a reputable manufacturer. Good customer service and complies with U.S. safety and other regulations. So that's some very good comments from Kevin there. Uh, I, I can definitely appreciate uh, a lot of those, uh, uh, especially when it comes to customer service. I think this is the, the – there's my dog shaking their collars. Uh, <laughs> Okay, stop shaking your collar. Stop <laughs> shaking your collar. <laughs> uh, yeah, the customer service thing comes in key. I, you know, you, you buy these cheap rigs that are fun to kind of play with, and they do work really well. But, you know, all of a sudden you run into a problem, and who do you go to, right? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm going to go back onto eBay and try to contact the seller, or I'm going to go, you know, onto Amazon and file a complaint or do something. It can be it can be really hard, and I know some of the dealers that, you know, that kind of uh, source the equipment here in the U.S. I, I can't think of one of them offhand, but I know I bought a, a rig from China through them, so like they're the U.S. based whatever distributor of the product. And uh, it was interesting dealing with them as a third party to the product. 
because, uh, you know, it was like a lot of stuff was kind of lost in translation back and forth. And I was never happy. I ended up returning the rig and then I, I just got rid of it. But, but yeah, I can definitely see, I can definitely see Kevin's comments here. Yeah, I can definitely see these as well. And it's not a small vocal minority because I've been reading a lot of articles on Reddit and other places where they talk about using these cheap Chinese radios and more than half of the people who talk about them talk about the fact that they all fail type acceptance, that none of them are actually within spec, none of them follow FCC regs, which makes me wonder how they can even be sold here. But despite all of that, um, you know, their general consensus is if you want to buy a decent rig, spend $100, get a good American-made one that follows all the rules and that doesn't, you know, spuriously emit all over the RF spectrum and doesn't turn your washer in or set your lights on fire and all that other stuff. So, um, you know, I guess it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, the price point is hard to beat. It, it really is. And since they are available here, you're not going to really stop people from getting them. But, you know... Maybe save up instead of the $25, save up $75, just do it for an extra couple of weeks or whatever and get something a little bit better. Yeah. And I mean, that gear from China is, is getting more and more expensive anyway. So, uh, you know, it's it's starting to become, you know, besides the little HTs, right. <laughs> like the HF rigs, I mean, it's, it's still a significant cost. You can buy used equipment, um, you know, name brand used equipment a lot cheaper than you can buy brand new Chinese made you know, knockoff gear. Well, Pofung is a brand name. Well, I mean, yes, Daigu and all those other ones are all brand names too, but, you know, yeah. when they're kind of just mimicking instead of creating real stuff and, and, and then not doing it very well, not putting bandpass filters in place, not putting, uh, you know, protections for spurious emissions, you know, some of this stuff is not related to the radio. Yeah, you know, light ballast and stuff like that, RF energy. Uh, a lot of that's just probably poor antennas to begin with. <laughs> right. So I can't, I can't blame, uh, I can't blame the rigs on 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 emitting products outside of the actual box. I seriously doubt. <laughs> seriously doubt. I've never added to one that that did that. All right. Well, that's another topic that feel free to weigh in on. If you've got some uh, information you want to provide or an opinion, we'd certainly love to hear it. And you've got a couple episodes left to get that in before we take a little bit of a break. So, uh, you know, let us hear what your thoughts are. But with that, we have come to the end of the announcements and the feedback. So we're going to move on to Cheryl's Recipe Corner. Yay. Yay. So anyway, the recipe that I picked for tonight is not a recipe that we have tried yet. But to me, it sounded really good. So it's going to go on our must fix list. Russ and I love Mexican style recipes. So this is this is one of those things. It, you know, super easy to put together from the looks of it. And obviously, you know, I've not done it yet. So anyway, if any of you guys prepare this, definitely let us know how well you liked it. So anyway, tonight's recipe is cheesy enchilada ravioli casserole. It calls for a package of refrigerated cheese filled ravioli. A container of chive and onion cream cheese spread, a a shredded deli rotisserie chicken, chopped green chilies, a Mexican shredded Mexican cheese blend, black bean and corn salsa, and some enchilada sauce. Um, You mix, um, you cook the ravioli, you mix the cream cheese uh, after it's been microwaved with the chicken and chilies, and you put this in the bottom of a baking dish, sprinkle some cheese on it, top it with the cooked ravioli. Put some salsa over the ravioli, pour enchilada sauce over the salsa, cover it with foil, and bake it. So, and that's, it's a 30-minute bake and probably 
15 or 20 minutes to put it together. So, and this is one of those things that you could probably fix, you know, put it together the night before and pop it in the oven after work. So, yep, casseroles are good that way. You yep. do all the prep work the night before, you stick it in the oven for 30 minutes, and voila, you have dinner. Woo! Yep, we're definitely yep. going to give this one a try and see how it goes over. We had uh, ponchos the other day, which was really nice being able to have. Uh, all you can eat Mexican food for six dollars and ninety nine cents. Some people aren't aware of what ponchos is. Ponchos. Well, is let's a, not go into a whole thing. Well, about I'm ponchos. not. I'm not. It's it's in. They're in Texas and Arizona, and it's a buffet with a semi decent Mexican food. Their, <laughs> so, their tamales are actually surprisingly good, yeah. considering how they present their food. But and uh, the chili rellenos. And the chili rellenos were yep. good too. Yep. So yeah, it's for cheap Mexican food that's buffet style with a sopapilla for dessert. You know you're you're perfectly good with that so yeah. <laughs> and anytime we go to dallas that's that is our you know we it's gotta the go there yeah. yeah so so yeah yay for ponchos yay. if you're if you're near one or going to a place where they have one try it out it's yeah. not it's not great mexican food but it's a lot of it for no money at all yeah it's very cheap <laughs> so so yeah with, with a so we got water of course but with a soda you're probably looking at nine dollars yeah nine dollars yeah so yep but, and they have everything you know enchiladas yeah. flautas chimichangas quesadillas tamales. tacos tamales chili rellenos yeah you know yeah. it. they got, it. They got so. it so all right so moving on we're gonna hit my whiskey corner here pretty quick and i bought myself a whiskey so that i could try some new stuff this is becoming one of the great things about the show is i get to buy myself new scotch yeah we gotta uh, put a stop on that <laughs> so so anyway, a second job for this. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And we're running out of cabinet space. So. <laughs> yeah, we just had to buy a new wine fridge. We went from an eight to a thirty five. And it's full and we need another one. <laughs> so anyway, on my whiskey corner tonight, we're going to talk about Spayburn 10, which is S-P-E-Y-B-U-R-N. And despite the fact that it's called Spayburn, it's actually a Highland Scotch. It's bottled at 43 percent alcohol. That's 86 proof. And. The color of it, and the funny thing about this is you, you can't see it in here, but when when you look at it in normal light, the only thing I could think of is that it looks piss yellow. That's exactly yeah, that, its color. That is not politically correct. Like how dehydrated yellow. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. Yeah, it's, it, he's right. That's exactly what it looks like. No other scotch that I own or that I've actually seen is, that is this particular color. No. But uh, <laughs> there's probably a better description of it, but that's exactly the color it is. So... <laughs> It's like a light honey color. Yeah. Like a watered-down honey color. <laughs> right. That's it. So, so anyway, um, I did my tasting of this earlier, although I do have some of it here, and I was going to, like, pop the cork on it so you could hear it. Uh-huh. <laughs> there you nice. go. <laughs> What's interesting about this is I don't particularly like Highland Scotches. They're not my favorite, but this one is interesting, especially for one as young as it is. The first thing you get on the nose is just a plain old sugar sweetness. You also get some orange, like an orange peel or an orange zest. Um, you also get like wood shavings. And I don't want to make this sound, you know, how I did my thing about how smells are. But if you've ever had like a guinea pig or a hamster and you open that package of clean, Cedar. clean, dry wood shavings um, before they actually get introduced to the animal, there's that. And there's also an herbal note, and way, way buried down on the nose, barely perceptible, there is like a wintergreen or winter pine 
or maybe even a subtle juniper way 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 down it's not like not like gin not like it's overpowering or anything like that it's just kind of there what's interesting to me about this scotch what's most interesting to me about it is that the nose and the taste are almost nothing alike usually they are pretty similar but in this case the first thing you get on the taste when you taste it is basically just the fermented you know barley taste the malted barley um it is mixed with some herbal and everything in this is pretty subtle there's nothing that like hits you over the head this is the flavor that you're tasting so when i say floral it's just vaguely floral you can't pick out a you know a particular type of uh, flower that you're tasting it has a very very light smoke essence which most scotches do even the blended ones and this is the character along the lines of a blended scotch it's very very subtle and then there's also a taste of anise again really subtle uh nothing really to kind of overwhelm here it's a very young scotch it's not particularly complex it, it's interesting that the nose and the taste are a bit different um but overall i don't find it that special but then again i don't really like highland scotches so one thing you can say about here go ahead and try it i know you want to try it so one thing one thing you can say about it is that it's cheap a 750 milliliter bottle is under 30 dollars. if you want to have this as an introductory scotch it's not going to it's not you're not going to hate it you just probably won't love it and uh, for less than 30 bucks you know might be worth trying uh it'll add a highland to your collection anyway so i am going to give it a rating of 80 uh, which i think is the lowest rating that i've ever given in scotch on that rating scale it's not a scotch i particularly like it's not a particularly complex scotch um and it's not quite frankly a very interesting scotch so no it's pretty uh, boring actually yeah so. but it's but it is cheap and uh, so there you go less than 30 bucks score of 80 not terrible not great it's good for parties whatever you can probably even use it as a mixer so there you go Spayburn 10 it is what it is so i guess with that we're going to move on to the social media roundup Yay. this week in subscriptions we have dylan angle steven saner thor wiegman Wayne Carpenter, Ronald Ike, Paul Griffith, Robert Halliday, Bill Yoder, Darren King, Charlie Brown, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Kevin Murray, James Blocker, Stephen Hart, John Fotchke, Donald Gover, Robert Doherty, Jeremy Hall, Michael Connolly, Christopher Weaver, John Clark, Todd Bowers, Doug Redder, Michael Aiello, Michael Jacobs, Jonas Rulo, Robert Yerke, Alan Wilson and Robert Pitts. The list seems to grow. Not as a bad thing either. No, so. not at all. <laughs> For Facebook, we have Matt Stace and Paul Beesing or Bessing. Google Plus, we have Eric Reinhardt. On Twitter, we have N0WJE, WWWUs, which is Beth Lynn Eicher, which is a friend of ours. L O S A I R E N, A V H I N C U, S W L B C L. Oppie 1984, Digger a Dam, W5NIS, uh, John M. Straub, Linux underscore Pat, TX underscore Coder. Who's in the chat room? Yay! <laughs> Whiskey 1PY, W0ODI, Infosec 208, and KA4RCV. On YouTube, Dennis Plowman joined us. On the mailing list, Doug N6LMB joined us. And there were no merchandise sales this week. That's N6LMX. And he's been a long-time listener of the program. That's Doug. 
out in California, so we don't want to screw up his call sign because yeah, he's donated to the show. He's given us money. He's always talking to us on Twitter and stuff. So you want me to redo that? Sure. Okay. On the mailing list, Doug N6LMX joined us. Fantastic. And we can cut out all that. Badger. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that is pretty much the end of the program. We've uh, done it. We've gotten Woo-hoo! to the end. So I think unless there's something going on in the chat room, and from what I've seen, there really isn't, uh, we can probably move on with the outro. But I'll give it a few seconds just to make sure. So with that, we have come to a close of this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack, which means I can push the button and we hear some music there behind me. You can become an LHS ambassador. Visit the website for upcoming events and information on how you can represent Linux in the Ham Shack at a nearby con or ham fest. We love feedback, as you can tell from this episode. You can email us at info at lhspodcast.info, comment on an episode on the website, post on Google+, Facebook, or Twitter, or leave a voicemail at our number, 1909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1909-547-7469. Visit our IRC channel, Octothorpe LHS Podcast, on the free node network, and subscribe to our mailing list. Show merchandise from coffee mugs to t-shirts to wall clocks and lots of other stuff which help out the show can be purchased at www.cafepress.com stroke LHS podcast. You can also help the show by clicking on the sponsored ads in the right-hand column of the homepage, and that doesn't cost you any money at all, just a moment of your time. Listen live every other Monday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. That's early Tuesday morning at 0100 Zulu in the summer and 0200 Zulu in the winter. And don't forget our hiatus. Our last episode will be October 2nd. And we won't be recording again until January 8th of 2018. Our recording schedule and countdown timer to the next episode are on the website. Please visit http colon stroke stroke lhspodcast.info for everything you ever want to know about the show. We want to thank all of our listeners live and quasi-live, past, present, and future, and to those who have given their time, ears, shares, and dinero for the show. We appreciate each and every one of you. So for me, Russ, K5TUX, and for Cheryl, W5MOO. Good evening, everyone. And for I'm Living in the Dining Room Tonight, Bill, NE4RD. 73, everyone. We'll catch you for episode number 199 in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Fun shooting guns in the house.